0: So we're in part three of our three-part series, Thanksgiving series on the 136th Psalm, and you can turn there with me. And while you are turning to the 136th Psalm, we'll do a quick review of our first two parts, and I know some of you have been here for all of them, and you maybe don't want to go through this review again. In fact, someone in first service said, I wish you were like Netflix, and I could just hit the skip intro button and uh, move past you, but... Uh, For those that weren't here, this will serve that purpose. And for those of you that maybe already forgot last week, you're thinking right now, what did he talk about last week? I don't know. We talked about the repetitive phrase that runs through all of the entire psalm, his love endures forever, or as Eleanor read, his mercy endures forever. It's the word has said either way. This is the undergirding, the principle of all that we have to be thankful for, the Lord's love, a love that embraces uh, the idea of His absolute covenantal commitment, uh, a love that embraces the idea of God's absolute provision to provide for all of our needs, and God's absolutely love that is incoercible—you can neither, you can't do anything to earn more of God's love, nor can you do anything to take away from God's love. As First John chapter four and verse eight tells us, "God is love." You may not love God or you may not know how you feel about God, but, but God just keeps, on go, keeps going on loving you. You may think you're unlovable, but God doesn't see you in that way. He sees you as of extreme value and he keeps on loving you. This is our primary reason that we have to be thankful. But we also explored how we are called in our very first sermon to give thanks to God simply for being God. The Bible tells us give thanks to the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Remembering who God is is important for us as humans because whether we realize it or not we all desire to have a God power in our lives and if we turn our eyes away from the one true God longing to fill that hole that exists in our life when God is not there, we will replace that God with other gods. As Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 1, this is the pattern of history for all they although they knew god for although they knew god they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him thus they exchanged the truth of god for a lie and worshipped and served the created things rather than the creator this is the natural course of forgetting to give thanks to the god of gods and the lord of lords that was week one Week two, last Sabbath, we saw how the psalmist does this survey, this grand survey of history. And in his survey of history, he lays out a multitude of the wonders of God. These are things that that he hasn't personally experienced, but but as he observes them, he, he recognizes that they are also part of his story, and he gives thanks to God for this. The psalmist embraces these these happenings in human history as if they were his own. Recognizing that he is a part of the collective narrative that God has designed for this world. And we talked about how hopefully we too as as believers will will recognize that we are part of the collective narrative of all of humanity. The person that is sitting right next to you, the wonder that, that has happened in their life, the wonder of their story is part of your story and your story is part of their story. This is important for us in, a, in, a, in an age, in a, in a society of great isolation, while we are the most connected we've ever been in history through, through all the social media and all the technology that exists. I remember, and some of you may remember this as well, uh, back in the day, uh, you my parents didn't want me to call anybody that was outside of our territory because it was a long-distance phone call. Anyone remember that? You remember some of that, and if you if you called, say you had a, a a girlfriend or or a boyfriend, in the case of the ladies, traveling somewhere, and you would talk to them on the phone, and your parents at the end of the month would get that bill, and it, where did this ten dollar phone call come from? They would be upset about this. We were we weren't a very connected society. You were only connected in in your little area. Now we're the most interconnected we've ever been, and yet. All of the social studies show us, uh, societal studies show us, that we are the loneliest and the most feel the most isolated in history, even though we're so connected. So it's important for us to remember that, that the grand narrative of human history, the stories that we hear all around us aren't just someone else's stories, they are our stories too, to give thanks to God for. And that was last week's sermon. And that brings us to today. And we're going to explore just Two verses, but before we get to those verses, for those of you who might be Bible study nerds out there, or maybe those that will forget everything else, I want to give you a key thing that you can remember from the, 36, the 136th Psalm. The 136th Psalm is set up in a chiastic structure, and a chiastic structure is a literary, a chiasm is a literary device used in many forms of ancient literature, many forms of literature throughout the ages. Did any of you read Beowulf or Paradise Lost when you were in an English lit class somewhere along the way? No one read Beowulf? or I'm just giving you a chance to raise your hands again. I, last, last week I had you raise them high to give thanks. Now I'm trying to trick you into doing it in a different way. Some of you read the Beowulf and, and Paradise Lost, and, and if you read these, you might not have realized it, but these utilize this tool as well of chiasms. And they were especially used, though, in the Old Testament Hebrew writings. And one of the benefits of discovering chiasms, it can be helpful in that they can help us to define the main uh, themes, the main points of a particular passage, or even sometimes the, the big theme right in the middle of the passage. And a chiasm works like this. The writer works out their points, and then though they repeat those points in reverse order. So in this passage... The first three verses are focused on who God is, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. They are establishing God's supremacy, that he is above all things. This idea is then paralleled in the final verse of the passage, verse 26, which says, Give thanks to the God of heaven. God is in heaven, he is above all things, he is supreme. Then verses four through nine are about God as creator and God as provider, the one who has given nature to humanity, the sun to guard the day and the moon to guard the night. And this is paralleled by verse 25, which says God, he gives, God gives food to every creature. He is our creator and our provider. Then verses 10 through 22 are about God as deliverer and savior, And these are paralleled by verses 23 and 24, which we are going to look at in just a moment. So if anyone asks you, what is the 136th Psalm about? If you remember nothing else of the sermons, you can remember this, based on this chiasm. The 136th Psalm is about God is supreme, God is provider, and God is savior. Those three things. What is this Psalm about? God is supreme, God is provider, and God is our savior. And we give thanks to him for all of this. If you remember nothing else, you can remember that. God is supreme, God is provider, and God is our Savior. And we give thanks to him for that. But it's that last point specifically, God is Savior, that I want us to focus on today. As we close out this Thanksgiving uh, series and as we close out this Thanksgiving season, hopefully the reminder of this as God is our Savior will, will, will give us the encouragement, the, 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 the reminder that we have so much to be thankful for. So verses 23 and 24, which are two verses that are clearly about salvation. They say this, he, this is speaking of God, remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever. And he freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. Ever. Just as verses 10 through 22 are about deliverance and salvation, these are as well. But, but these verses kind of take a little twist. They have a, they have a more personal language to them, and they, they seem to, to take a little bit of a deeper uh, uh, personal touch to them by using the, the proper pronoun, us. He remembered us. He freed us. And I believe the depth of, of the verse comes through even more as we as we think about what the psalmist says we are delivered from. We are delivered from our low estate. Now, as Pastor Leah pointed out in her children's story, and by the way, one of the signs of a very gifted communicator is that they're able to impact everybody in the room. And you all were just enjoying that just as much as the kids up here during her children's story. We praise God that she's one of our Bible teachers at Spencerville Academy. But Pastor Leah pointed out that, that sometimes the things that we go through that, that, that put us in a mess or, are of no fault of our own. We just can't steer that flying saucer very well by ourselves. And, and so that's of no fault of our own. But, but what I find to be true, and maybe you find this to be true as well, in my life, and I would say in many lives, the thing that most often leads to our lowest state, the thing that most often leads us to that, that, that bottom level of living are the choices that we make in our lives, the choices that we make that are, that are outside of the will of God, that, are, that, that push God away. We are often the ones that lead ourselves into that low estate of living, that forget the one true God, to forget that he is our provider, forget that he is our deliverer. The worst stretch of my life, as you have heard many stories, came in that section of years in which I completely forgot and abandoned the God my parents taught me to believe in. But other miserable moments in my adulthood have have been as a result also of when I was not walking faithfully with Jesus, when I was, was stepping outside of his will, when I was taking my eyes off of him and who he is, when I made decisions that, that were contrary to who or what I knew I should be doing. Yes, I've done this both as an unbeliever and unfortunately as a believer as well. Maybe I'm not supposed to admit that. Post-seminary, post-theology training, post-pastorate, that at times I've stepped outside of that will of God. I remember uh, uh, an older minister in a congregation that I was at years ago told me that he thought it might be a li- I might want to be more cautious about being so transparent about how flawed I was. But uh, that's just who I am. So if you're a struggler in here, you have a pastor that can relate because I am a struggler as well. So I speak today not from judgment but from experience that the lowest state is often a result of our own choosing, the choices that we make. And when we make these choices to, to forget God, to, to walk outside of God's will, we end up in bondage. Sometimes we are bound literally, true bondage. Sometimes we are emotionally bound Sometimes we're spiritually and, and relation, relationally bound because of choices that we made. A friend that I used to run with back in the day found me through the internet and reached out to me via email. He watched one of the messages, and he might be watching right now, so I say hello to him. And we have been communicating, and, and he feels imprisoned. He has literally been incarcerated in his life. He's no longer, but, but he has literally been incarcerated. But even though the bars are gone, he still feels bound. He feels bound uh, uh, mentally. He feels in bondage mentally of, with paranoia and fear. He, he feels emotional bondage of, of regret, spiritual bondage of, of self-condemnation. All of it based on choices that that he's made over the course of his life. Choices that we as a group of friends made at a very early age. And some of those choices dug deeper roots in his life than maybe some others. His low estate, which came through his choices, has now cast him into bondage. And many of us have been there as well. Maybe not to the extreme that, that, that he is, but maybe you are there right now. Maybe you can relate to the thief that, that hung next to Jesus on the cross. We remember that story, right? The story that, of the thief that hung next to Jesus. We often, for, for theological reasons, quote the words that Jesus spoke to the man to, to prove some theological point or some, some doctrine. But, but do we remember the words that, that the thief said to Jesus? In Luke chapter 23, and verse 41, the thief, talking to the other thief that was there hanging with Jesus, said this We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. What is he saying? He's saying our choices, the choices that we make, the choices that we make brought us to this low estate and ultimately to the bondage that we are in. The choices that we made brought us to this point of hanging on the cross. Is there a little bit of the thief in you? A little bit of that that bondage in you? Of course, you're more respectable. After all, you're here at church, and I'm more respectable. I'm here at church, but but none of us should be fooled. Let us not fool ourselves. Many of us still find some areas of our lives that we are living in bondage. Maybe all areas of your life feel like you are in bondage as a result of your deeds, But, but maybe it's just an area that only you know about. Maybe there's an addiction, maybe there's a habit, maybe there's a, a grudge, maybe there's a bitterness. Maybe there's a hurt that's, that's in your life that's bound you and holding on to you and, and you've been unable to, to let it go and you are living in that spirit of bondage. No one sees you up on a cross and no one even knows maybe what it is you're going through but, but you know in your heart that you're not free from that thing. The thief, after he acknowledges what put him in this low estate, after he owns the choices that he made, he prays, he reaches out to the man next to him, Jesus, who is who is there on the cross. And he says, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. Maybe that is a prayer that you need to pray today. Maybe that's a prayer that you prayed in your life. Lord, remember me. I believe that every Christian, I I, I believe that every sincere Christian at some point in their life must reach that point in which they recognize their brokenness. They recognize the the choices that they have made over the course of history have, have separated them from God. And they come to that place where they finally realize their desperate need for Jesus and they say, Jesus, remember me. If you haven't prayed it before, I believe something in life will eventually lead you to pray that prayer. And I hope you will submit to that and be willing to pray it. But there's some good news in connection with that prayer. Not only what Jesus says, of course, to the thief. But, but, but to me, there's even an expansion of that good news in Psalm 136. Because Psalm 136 gives us a whole nother level of assurance about this prayer. 136 tells us that before you even have prayed that prayer, it is already done. The psalm tells us that God remembers us. The psalm tells us that God remembers us. It says when we were in our lowest state, so when we were in our, our desperate spot, when you are, are feeling bound by some, something in your life and, and your heart is bound and you're mentally bound or you're relationally bound or you're maybe even you're physically bound, the Lord remembers you. In our lowest state, He remembers us. For the man or woman in here that has thought in their heart, has God forgotten me? For the person maybe watching at home on TV, God has forgotten me. You're not alone. A lot of us have spoken that that prayer. But God does not forget us. He remembers us. The Bible said, the thief prayed, Lord, remember me. And and the psalm tells us God already has remembered us. Sin leads us to think that we are forsaken, that we are forgotten, that God would never want anything to do with us. But in our most desperate place, when we think we are to be, when we're the least of these, when we think we are, 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 are completely abandoned by God, the Bible tells us God remembers us. This is something that believers throughout the ages have said. God's own people said it. We read it in Isaiah chapter 49. If you want to flip there real quick to Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 14. A lot of us know verses 15 and 16 that come after it, but but verse 14 sets up the the whole setting. God's people say in Isaiah 49 and verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. These are God's people. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. He doesn't doesn't remember me. But listen to how God responds to such a thought. Verse 15, this is the verse many of us know. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. I will never forget you. We see that we brought ourselves into this lowest state. We see that we're, that we're in bondage because of our choices. And we, we think, God must surely have forgotten me. God must surely think nothing of me. And like the thief, maybe in some desperation, we call out, Lord, remember me. And the Bible tells us the Lord does remember. And not only does the Bible tell us that he remembers, not only does he remember us, he never forgot us in the first place. He remembers you because he never forgot you in the first place. Y'all, think about this response think about this response by God Lord you've forsaken us you forgot us and God says not only have I not forsaken you or forgotten you I've never forgotten you not only do I remember you I've never forgotten you think about this in comparison to how we are how do you respond when someone has wronged you how do you respond when, when someone has, has treated you as you do not deserve to be treated? How do you respond when someone has said something to you that has that cut deeply into your heart and, and, and torn at you? How do you respond when you feel misheard or misunderstood? How, have you, how do you respond when someone has been inconsiderate, maybe they embarrassed you or hurt your ego? What do you do? How do you respond? How do we respond? The human way is often we, we try to get even, even in subtle ways. We try and get retribution, even in subtle ways. Man, we even teach our kids this somewhat. One kid does something wrong, the other kid responds back, and then we say to the one, you need to apologize first. You need to fix this first. That's, that's, how, that's how we kind of live life. We try to make it right in our own eyes by our own standards. We try to make sure that the the disrespect that we were shown is is rectified in some way. Uh, We we maybe even hold a grudge for a time or, or are willing to break a relationship or a friendship rather than just saying, you know what? I'm going to come to you and fix this. We thank God that He is not us. We thank God that He is not us. Because, because when it talks about us being in our lowest state and when we talk about, about being in our most desperate situations, many times we are the ones that put ourselves there. And we have pushed God away and we've separated ourselves from God and we've wounded God and we've, we've hurt God and we've hurt this relationship. And God doesn't say, okay, now I'm going to wait till you prove that you figured it out. Now I'm going to hold it against you to try to make you clarify some things for me. No, God just remembers us and he comes to us and the Bible says he frees us from our bondage. Free from the bondage because God remembers you and comes to you. Not the way that we free people if they have met our demands or satisfied conditions. I'll be your friend again. I'll, I'll, I'll be in a relationship with you if you do A, B, C, or D. We don't God doesn't free us in this way. God doesn't free us by making us pay a while or enduring our, his anger for just a little bit longer or maybe giving us the silent treatment. That's one of the classic ones. I'm just gonna ignore them and not talk to them. God doesn't, God doesn't do that to us. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. God says, no, I never forget you. And when I see you at your lowest, I come to you. I come to you. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse 16 of Isaiah chapter 49, another famous text. He says, and just to prove to you that I've never forgotten you, just to prove to you that, that I am there for you, he says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Hands. If I think of any reason to give thanks to God, it's because God does not give me what I deserve. Instead, he remembers me in my low estate, and he provides a way for me to have freedom through his death on the cross. I loved uh, Pastor Leah's illustration about the, about the sledding. And I loved it because I think it is a great picture and something we need to accept and understand as believers. We put conditions on how we get back to God. We put conditions on how to make things right with God. And I love her, her, her picture of, of her as a, as a four-year-old girl flying through the air and looking over and seeing the saucer flying next to her and realizing that she was in trouble. Now, Leah, Pastor Leah is, is athletic. We played some football last Thanksgiving, and I saw her take a tumble, and she rolled right up and popped right up. I mean, she did pretty good. But she's no Cirque du Soleil person. She doesn't have some contortion in her body that she's able to maneuver and find the sled below her. And What a beautiful picture that is. Flying through the air, no control, Nothing you can do to save yourself and landing safely, safely to make it the rest of the way. What a beautiful picture. That's what what this is talking about. God sees us in our lowest state. God sees us out of control with no ability to fix what we have done, no ability to change our situation. And he frees us. Allows us to land safely in his care. What a blessing that is. Jesus remembers you. Jesus frees you. He remembered us in his low estate. Our love. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies, those things that are our enemies, sin and, and addiction and habits and fear and anger and malice and bitterness. He frees us from these enemies. His love endures forever. Y'all, as we head into the last month of 2018 and are on the precipice of 2019, I want you to know that the bondage you are in, whatever it may be, whatever struggle you are having in your life, the low of state of your life, that thing which eats at you, that thing which maybe no one else knows about that eats at you. It is time that you let Jesus have it and you land safely on the sled and ride the rest of the journey with him. Jesus remembers you. Jesus frees you. Let him do that for you, even right now. I want to invite everyone to bow your heads with me. And I want to make an appeal to each heart in here. Young and old our young people that are in here, maybe at college. I know sometimes we go off to college and there's all those extra temptations. The challenges we have through the high school years of the peer pressure and the various things. Some things maybe already have gotten into your life that are, that are beginning to put you into bondage and separate you from God. Maybe you're, you're older and, and there's, some, there's some guilt that you've had in your life. about your parenting, or, or as a spouse? Is there something that is holding you in bondage, some bitterness in your heart, a sin you're holding on to, a relationship that is, that is eating at you? Maybe an injustice, something that was on, beyond your control that was done to you, but now it is festering in you, and it controls you. And though you're not actually a thief on the cross, Your heart longs for the same freedom that he longed for. Do you need to forgive? Do you need to let go and let God? Do you need peace in your life? It's a simple prayer. Lord, remember me. And And then to know this truth, that not only does he remember you, but he never forgot you. And that just by the dependence on him, we are set free. Oh God, I pray in the name of the one who sets us free, Jesus Christ. The one in which the Bible speaks and says, if the son has set us free, we are free indeed. Jesus, I pray that you will set some captives free today. I pray that you will set someone free today that is in this room or maybe watching us online that recognizes their lowest state. They acknowledge the choices that they've made have, have, have put them in this position. I think of my friend that watches often. And they long to be free. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will set hearts free right now and today. Or maybe for the first time ever in someone's life, they can know that they can truly have freedom in you. Jesus, we thank you. Let's help us not to make it any harder than that. Help us not to make it any more difficult for people than that. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Jesus, give us freedom today, I pray. In your name, amen.